0: I'll just find a silver lining here to quote PJ Black. Badgers fans, we might not be headed to Indy, but you know what? We're Co Big Ten runners up. Let's hold our heads high. Those who stay will be champions.
1: This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills.
0: Thanksgiving. I do a segment. Normally, it's kind of thrown together at the last minute where I talk about all the things I'm thankful for with our sports teams or with our athletes, right? I'm thankful for the Packers and that Super Bowl we won, or I'm thankful for Matt Lafleur and Good Cut, right? We do that whole thing. We didn't do that last week, and I don't want to do a whole segment on it, but I would, for a moment, if you would hear me, like to share one thing I am thankful for. I'm thankful for our Milwaukee Brewers in that they have sat out what has been a pretty wild free agency period in Major League Baseball. Now, I would like them to add as many good players as possible. I'd like them to spend as much money as possible because I want them to be good. But I do appreciate the fact that they've really done nothing notable because I am exhausted following along with every single player who's signing here for this much money. And now the Rangers are doing this and the Tigers are doing that. Stop it. I can't. I can't. Trade deadlines... Free agency periods—that's my least favorite thing to talk about on the show because it requires me to pay attention all the time and be following along. It's like The Bachelor; it never stops. You miss one episode and you're you, everything. You don't know what's going on. So I'm thankful for our Milwaukee Brewers and that they are not forcing me to be glued to Twitter every single moment of every single day and updating the show notes and getting ready. Oh, now they got this guy, and I got to learn about his stats. Yeah, no. I don't want want to do that. So I'm thankful for the Brewers. Even though they're not getting better, uh, I appreciate that they're not making me do a bunch of work and a bunch of research on new players. So thank you, Mark Atanasio, David Stearns, and the Brewers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm glad you're here. Tonight's show is kind of a fun one. And I think that's going to be the case this week and maybe a little into next week as well because the Packers are on bye. And when that happens, it really puts a funk in our rhythm, because what we do, we react to the game on Monday, and then more on Tuesday, and then we hear from Aaron Rodgers, who's on the McAfee show, and then we start looking ahead to the next opponent, and we preview, and we talk about that game, and then we do it all again next week. And because the Packers don't play this weekend, there really are no rules. And because the Badgers got embarrassed at, Chuck's notes, Chuck notes, Huntington Bank Stadium on Saturday, no longer TCF Bank, we don't have a Badger game to talk about and preview with a Big Ten Championship game this weekend as well. So there really are no rules. And we're going to talk about some really fun things. I got some fun topics lined up tonight, including some baseball stuff, a little college football stuff. Mike Clements is going to join us at 5.30. We always look forward to that. He's going to give us an update on what's going on with the Packers. I'm just glad I don't have to follow along every second of every day with the Brewers and what they're doing. They added some catcher that I've never heard of. I can't turn that into a segment that's 15 minutes long. I, I apologize. So we're just going to wait. If the Brewers do something crazy, if they sign somebody to an extension or they make some big trade or whatever, we'll talk about it. But I don't know. I don't need to talk about a guy who's been in the minor leagues for six years and we don't know much about. Now, if he plays in the regular season and he plays good, we'll talk about him then. But I'm not going to call up his college coach from 10 years ago and ask him and get the... uh, We're not doing that. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line. You can hit me up there. You can follow and tweet me at Wisco Grant. Follow our guest Mike Clemens. He's been tweeting some stuff about the Packers. You can follow him at Mike Clemens NFL. He will join us in an hour and a half. Like I said, this time of year we normally start the show with the Packers, and even today it maybe feels like we should still maybe start with the Packers. I mean, they just smoked L.A. nine to three, or they've moved nine to three. That wasn't the score. <laughs> Excuse me. And they're almost the one seed in the NFC. They're only a game behind Arizona, who they own the tiebreaker with. So you feel good about that. Feels like we should maybe start with the Packers today, but uh, can I let you in on a, a little secret about the bye week? We got to save some of these Packers topics. Because if it, if I burn them all now, we're not going to have anything to talk about on Thursday and Friday and next week. We don't have another game for 12 days. So for the next two weeks, we're going to stop and smell the roses. If there's college football news or there's baseball news that I feel interested to talk about and not the Texas Rangers spending 500000000 bucks, million, we'll talk about it. We got to stop and smell the the roses, because we have nothing but time for the next two weeks. They don't have another game for 12 days, which, as we've realized the last month or so, that is forever in NFL time. Remember last week when the sky was falling because the Packers lost to the Vikings in a coin flip of a game? Oh, well, how'd that turn out? Okay, well, the Vikings and Kirk Cousins played one of his worst games of the year in San Fran, and then they lost to the Niners, and the Packers beat the Rams, who were coming off a bye. We all really didn't expect that. Amazing. What can change in seven, eight, nine days? Twelve days is the next Packers game. That's forever in NFL years. It's like dog years, the inverse of dog years. So we got time. I want to start with um, some news and notes. No show has ever started with this before, right? This is completely original. I actually want to talk about some of these big college football stories because they're interesting. None of them involve Wisconsin other than losing Paul Bunyan's axe. It's not like Paul Crist is one of these coaches. It's like a name I've heard connected to USC is Paul Crist. They really like his Midwestern ethos. I don't know, okay? Paul Christ is probably staying in in Madison. I don't think he's he's going anywhere. But a couple of these big coaching hires, now USC has hired Lincoln Riley, and LSU has hired Brian Kelly. I kind of want to talk about these because they're interesting. Now, I don't pretend to be some diehard who travels around the country and visits all of these college stadiums and experiences a game, and you know college football is not my wheelhouse. So I'm not going to get over my skis here and and start talking out of pocket, but I do want to talk about these hires because they're interesting. Let's start with Lincoln Riley. Went from Oklahoma to USC. He got in this deal. If you haven't heard, $110 million in his contract. USC bought both of his Oklahoma homes, and they spent half a million extra on each one, so they're basically giving him a million-dollar bonus. They bought him a $6 million home in L.A., and he and his family gets use of a PJ, private jet. That's what rich people call him. Private jet. Anytime they want. That's absurd. College football is nuts. And you know what? It's 100% worth it for USC. They could have given him double and it would have been worth it for USC. Now, I don't really care about USC. I don't really care about the Pac-12. What I'm fascinated with in this Lincoln-Riley to the West Coast story is the media half of this. I'm a media nerd. I think as much as I love sports, I love media and sports media and sports contracts. What are we paying for media rights? How are these things being negotiated? which talking head is it, which network, and how do they go about covering all of these things? I find it very interesting. I could give a damn about Stanford football and Oregon State. But the media implications that this hiring has, it's huge. This is a needle mover for not just LA and USC, but the entire West Coast, and for both Fox and Disney. So the Big Ten has rights with Fox, right? And the SEC has rights with ESPN and CBS, Pac-12 has got its foot in a couple of camps here. And I looked it up today because I I thought I had it wrong. But the Pac-12 agreed to their current TV deal in 2009. It's a 12-year deal, which I can't imagine will be the case going forward because we've seen this in the NBA. No one's signing 10 or 12-year deals except for in baseball because you want to get back into free agency because there's going to be more money and things get more crazy and sports just go up and up in value. Nobody's signing a 12-year media deal anymore. Pac-12 wants to get this done. It's up in 2024. They signed in 2009 with Fox and ESPN, which is, you know, Disney essentially. They signed for $2.7 billion over 12 years, which is $225 million per year. The timing of this hiring, Lincoln Riley, who's one of the youngest, most exciting coaches in college football, could not be more perfect for the Pac-12 because now they have the ammo for their next TV contract, which is up in 2024, which is soon to be two years away. And it has a two-year ramp-up period, should they want to use it. By the way, the new commissioner of the Pac-12, who was hired in May, George Kleavkov, difficult to say. He was at MGM. He was director of content, and arenas. He was all over sports entertainment, right? He was at MGM Resorts. And he was at NBC when they launched Hulu. So the Pac-12 brought in this guy to replace, was it Larry Scott? I must have Drew Scott. Replace Larry Drew. Yeah, former coach of the Bucks, who also spent time at the Pac-12. Larry Scott. Commissioner of the Pac-12, basically to revamp and inject more media money into the Pac-12 because visibility-wise, they're way behind where the Big Ten is and the SEC. For example, the last good year we have on record for media revenue, because the pandemic obviously threw this all out of whack, 2018-2019, media rights revenue distributed per school. SEC had $45 per school. The Big Ten had $55 million per, and the Pac-12 had 32. This deal with Lincoln Riley puts a spotlight on USC, obviously a huge brand, an instrumental brand in college football, and it makes the entire West Coast relevant, which is obviously going to be a needle mover and a money mover for the Pac-12, which are coming up on their new media deal. This is fascinating. And if Lincoln Riley pops, this is going to change college football. It's going to give us some extra juice, basically another entertaining conference to talk about, which I love. And it's really interesting from media perspective as well. Less important to TV networks, but also interesting. And I'm sure you've heard about this. This has been trending on social media a lot of the day. This broke last night. Brian Kelly took the job at LSU. Kind of out of nowhere. And I know the rumors had been reported. Bruce Feldman put something out yesterday that LSU was targeting Brian Kelly. But of course, I mean, a lot of schools would love to have Brian Kelly, even LSU. I didn't expect this to happen. And based on what we've heard from Notre Dame and some of his other coaches today, None of them expected this to happen either. I didn't think it would happen. I mean, he's a great coach, and LSU's lucky to have him. Brian Kelly has won everywhere. And the optics always hasn't been great. He's kind of a crabby old man, but he's won everywhere. And I laugh when I hear people obsess about fit with college jobs. It's always a big conversation with USC or with Oklahoma or with, you know, Michigan with, with Jim Harbaugh or LSU, who now just hired Brian Kelly from Notre Dame people obsess over fit, you know, what's the, does his personality fit the city or the market or the conference? How about, how about first things first, does he win, right? Can he coach? Can he recruit? If he can do all these things, if the coach can do all these things, I don't really care if he talks like a swamp person, he will fit at LSU, right? He doesn't need to sound like someone who wrestles gators for a living if he can recruit and if he can coach, and if he can win, and Brian Kelly has proven he can do all of those things. The leaks around this story are college football is such a circus. Some of these stories are nuts. We saw a screenshot of the message that he sent the roster of Notre Dame. I guess they're all on this group app. I don't know if it's GroupMe or Slack or whatever it is, but somebody on the team leaked the message that Brian Kelly sent the team last night at 10.08 p.m. And I don't remember the timing of when this broke, but it was around 7, 8 p.m., somewhere in there. Here's a message. I want to read this to you. Men, dot, dot, dot. Let me first apologize for the late night text and more importantly, for not being able to share the news with you in person that I will be leaving Notre Dame. I'm flying back to South Bend tonight to be able to meet with you in the morning, but the news broke late today and I'm sorry you found out through social media or news reports. I will have more to share with you when we meet tomorrow at 7 a.m. But for now, just know that my love for you is limitless. And I'm so proud of all that you have accomplished. Our program is elite because of your hard work and commitment. And I know that will continue. I will share more in the morning when we meet. Again, my sincerest apologies for not being able to break this news directly to you, Coach Kelly. Wow. Look, college football is brutal. And these things do happen quickly. Right with the early recruiting period and the early signing period, this kind of has to happen this way and it's insane because Notre Dame can still make the playoff. but LSU offers you 10 years just under 10 million dollars annually. You probably should uh, probably should do that. I saw this leak from one of his assistant coaches and I saved it because it it made me laugh. I don't know like I, I, I should feel bad. this should be sad, but I found it really funny. Matt Fortuna, who covers college football for The Athletic and is obviously very connected to Notre Dame, he says, this is usually how these things go, but Brian Kelly ghosted everyone at Notre Dame. Just spoke to one assistant who saw reports on his phone tonight as he was exiting a recruit's home. This is the quote. The news broke when I walked out of the house, so now I look like an (laughs) a-hole. That's, oh my God. Like, I feel bad for the guy man, take me for a ride and make me out to look like a jerk. <laughs> just imagine going into to pitch and recruit. But the guy in charge, your boss, didn't tell you he was leaving. And I don't mean to laugh because this sucks, but this happens all the time in college football. It's brutal. It's a brutal business where there's so much money and everything moves at the speed of light because every day that you wait to get to LSU as Brian Kelly, it's just another day that you're behind those coaches and those people in the SEC already that aren't recruiting. They're big game hunting already. And Brian Kelly's got to get there, but... Man, that sucks, but then again, Brian Kelly has never been one that's been obsessed with optics, you know, yelling at reporters, being the crabby old man on the sideline. I saw some people today, Jack Collinsworth was one of them on Twitter, Chris Collinsworth's son. Saw a lot of people on social media who were saying, Why would you go to LSU? Notre Dame's a better job, really. Okay, well, why would you go to LSU? First of all, they're giving him $10 million a year, that's a pile of money, and is it a better job? Have you ever been to South Bend? Like as a as a practicing Catholic here myself, don't get me wrong. Notre Dame, I I enjoy Notre Dame, but if you go to LSU and that culture and that conference, and it's in a big, rich recruiting base in the South. Or you can go to Notre Dame where it's freezing, and you have to go to class and get really good grades. Really, are we sure Notre Dame is a better job? I don't I don't get that at all. That makes no sense to me. Really quickly, let's talk with Chad and Sun Prairie before this break. Chad, what's going on? Not much, Grant. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm talking about college football, so today's a little bizarre, but I'm enjoying it.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, so my, my question is then, uh, you know, Jack Cohn willing to come back to Wisconsin?
0: Ooh, <laughs> now, oh, God, I don't know how eligibility works. This is this is his final year because it wasn't he a graduate transfer, but, wow, that's an interesting point. Poor Jack Cohn. I didn't even think about the guy. That sucks for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really does. He kind of took – I mean, he finally looked like he found a program, looked like he was doing all right, and – because I, I think he has another year of eligibility with the whole COVID thing,
0: right? I'm not sure – he might. That's a good point because they all kind of have a bonus year, don't they? Or was that only in basketball? Because I know that's what Brad Davison did. I'm, I'm not sure. I think you're right. I think, yep, I think you're right, Chad.
2: Because the way, the way they were, you know, toting Graham Merce is a – sophomore, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's... And yeah, I guess for eligibility wise, like, that makes sense. Yeah. But even though this is technically year three, right?
0: Yeah, something I, like that, I, I always lose track, because you got redshirt seniors, and then you got seniors, then you got graduate transfers, and it's, yeah, it's a mess.
2: So, I mean, maybe Wisconsin takes the Michigan State route, and we load up on talent from, you know, all these transfer schools, and
0: <laughs> well, maybe there's a lot of talent to be poached from uh, from Notre Dame now, I guess. And that's what sucks. Notre Dame is right there in the college football playoff. They're sixth behind Oklahoma State, who's about to play Baylor. They could lose in the Big 12 championship game. Then they'd be out. Bama's fourth and holding on. They could lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. So, I mean, there's there's a realistic path Notre Dame gets in. That sucks for the players, but that's the reality of college football.
2: And, I mean, what are they – Who's gonna end up coaching that game? Like have half the assistants leave? Like uh, Lincoln Luke, Riley's Lou Holtz. They all jumped on one plane. Yeah, get Lou Holtz back oh. to coach the game. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, I don't. I think Lou is Lou's hiding in a basement somewhere over COVID, isn't
0: he? Probably. I don't. I don't know. Somebody. They should get someone he, fun and famous to do it. Why not?
2: Who do they got? I mean, who do they? Who, like, I can't think of a single person that would come back and. Maybe, you know, what's that, uh, West Wing? They'll bring in Jed Bartlett, Michael Sheen. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or,
0: or, or, yeah, yeah. why not? <laughs> I'm looking up the uh, <laughs> defensive coordinator here. All right, Chad, i got to let you go because i got to take a break. But I appreciate the call, buddy. And hope all is You're well in Sun Prairie. Yeah, thank you, Chad. Uh, now, there's a lot of love for their Notre Dame defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman. Probably just going to be him. Although Brian Kelly's trying to bring him with him to LSU. He'd make him really highly paid as a defensive coordinator. One thing I love about college football, it's a really messy business. One thing I love is when coaches leave and they just bring back somebody else to coach the bowl game, like when Barry Alvarez coached in the Rose Bowl, or now Bob Stoops is going to coach Oklahoma. That's awesome. Like, thats that doesn't happen in any other sport where it's like, oh, it's the biggest game of the year? Let's bring some dude out of the mothballs or out of the TV booth just to do just to do one game for fun. I know it's really unfair to the kids, but I love it as an entertainment Factor. It's incredible. Get Lou Holtz to coach this game. Or uh, who's the other? I don't mean to sound insensitive. He's a really big guy. Charlie Weiss? Is he still around? What's he up to? I'm going to look that up. We can talk more about this, but we got to take a quick break. Back in three minutes on the Wisco Sports Show.
2: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
0: <laughs> go sports show. I swear I take 10 minutes to have some fun and talk college football and we get Packers news. Devondre Campbell tested positive for COVID-19. We know he tested positive because he's unvaccinated so therefore he would have to test positive to show up on the list. But they're on by. So he could very well come back within time to play the Bears which wouldn't be the case if he wasn't vaccinated which I know not supposed to have an opinion on. But Props to Devondre Campbell for being available for his defense, probably, should he come through and not have symptoms that are too bad and be ready to play in 10 days against the Bears on Sunday Night Football. We are still talking a little bit about college football. If you want to chime in on that, go to town. We're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers in a few minutes. I also want to talk about Monday Night Football. Not to rip Russell Wilson. It's just sad at this point. I don't I don't want to punch down. We've reached the point where now slandering Russell Wilson is just commonplace, and, it, and it's sad. He doesn't deserve the hate that he's getting. But I do want to talk about last night's game because I've been saying something for a year. And it has to do with the Packers. And I've been comparing the Packers to the Seahawks. And I just get more right as time passes on. So I do want to talk about that at some point. Let's talk with Mike, downtown Madison. Mike, the world is your oyster. What would you like to talk about? we got a million topics going at once here.
1: Oh, my gosh, Grant. I'm got i, I I'm thinking about, like, a hundred different things right now. Good, um, good, good. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to touch on your – I'm not trying to shoot anyone down on your last caller. No. Uh, absolutely do not want Jack Cohen uh, back <laughs> at Wisconsin. 100% absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I believe in Mertz. He's young, and he is a redshirt sophomore, if you're wondering. Um, Thank you. So he, he, you got to believe in that kid. He's, he's got He's got what it takes offensive line had some struggles in the beginning of the season that was very evident he took some nasty shots that was very evident um and uh i feel like he's played pretty well minus this uh, axe game that we just watched yeah. um but i put a lot of that on paul Chris. so um so that let's talk brian kelly real quick let's uh, let's do I it i know your <laughs> opinion real quick
0: yeah you, you so want, what, do you, what do you think about you want to know my dollars? opinion? Yeah. I, I think he's a really good coach. I think he's probably a really crabby guy, and he might not be the nicest man and the best human, but he's a really good football coach. And I laugh when I see people on Twitter who are like, oh, he's not a good fit. Well, why? Because he doesn't talk like a swamp person, because he doesn't eat gumbo all the time. Like, I think he'll be okay in LSU. He's a really good coach. Yes. And I think the rest yes, is ab- secondary.
1: Absolutely. Here's the thing. I grew up uh, 20 minutes uh, west of Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, we had season, we had season, my family had season tickets for about uh, eight to 10 years.
0: Wait, where in, um, where in Indiana did you grow up? Can I, can I ask? Uh, Lafort, Indiana. Shut up. That's where my aunt and uncle live and a couple of my cousins. Really? Oh. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. Whoa. Small, small world. I'm so, glad I asked. So I, I grew Yeah, I grew
1: up there and I uh, went to a lot of Notre Dame games. I mm-hmm. uh, went to a lot of heartbreakers. Um, and I was actually sitting uh, ten rows in from the Bush Push. Um, nice. So, so many of these, so many of these coaches I saw flow through there. Uh, Tyrone, uh, Tyrone Willingham, Charlie Weiss, um, all of these coaches that were kind of like maybes, you know, like, oh, okay, this guy's whatever. Could you imagine what Brian Kelly could have done with Brady Quinn? Can yeah. you imagine the progress that could have been made in those in those cases? Well, Brian Kelly did everything he absolutely could for Notre Dame. He is the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. And I believe in mobility. I believe it's a good thing. And I believe this is a great move for him, um, even loving Notre Dame. I, I, I get a kick out of Notre Dame. I love watching him play. Um, but this is a great move for Brian Kelly. Um, tons of money. And uh, you can't you can't pass it up. And, and Brian Kelly has taken Notre Dame to a national championship. And to two college football playoffs and has gotten blown out in all of them. Why? Because his rosters aren't as good. It's evident. It's clear. You can't recruit like these Southern SEC schools. And he's going to have the opportunity to do that. So I'm actually really excited to see what he can do. Um, I want to see him up against Nick Saban. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I want to see it. I, I absolutely want to see. It. Well, and so, now in the sec, um, you have
0: Mike Leach and you have Lane Kiffin. Like just put them all down there. Let's just see them. Let's yeah, just all go absolutely. at it. Like there's yeah. a lot of great coaches yeah. in the big 10 with Franklin and Harbaugh and T- everyone loves Tucker and even PJ flex entertaining and Scott Frost conferences are fun. When you have these huge personalities coaching, that's part of what makes college football yeah. fun. Right. I love that. I love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else? What are the topics that you have?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I guess we're about we're gonna hear from Aaron Rodgers a little bit. We're gonna talk about Russell Wilson and, and the Seahawks. If you have anything on either of those, before I let you go, go to town.
1: Yeah, uh, nothing on the Packers yet. I'm gonna like I, I heard you earlier in the show. I'm gonna kind of save some points on that because yeah, uh, you know, twelve days is a long time. Um, but uh, Seahawks, real quick. I think it's very clear and evident that this is the. Last year of Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, yeah, um, and, and and I don't think that it's even a question who ownership is going to stay with, and I, it's Russ. Yeah, um, I, Pete Pete's been fired twice, um, and not saying he's not a good coach, um, but his schemes are outdated, um, and I, I think that he's just wearing players out with his you know gum chewing attitude. Like yeah, I really like I just yeah. I, I really, really believe that Grant. You know, I, I think that he's just wearing players out, and, and he's not—he's not providing the best product he can for Russ. And Russ is an incredible, incredible player. Mm-hmm. Um, they've whiffed on their draft picks in the last three years. Yeah, um, O line has had problems for years. Uh, mediocre tier two running backs and a horrible secondary at the moment. Uh, I watching that game last night, I was pissed because I had a couple parlays on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, just what I mean, Russ can't—he can't do anything uh, based on the team around him. And, no. I mean, and he and he didn't play particularly well last night. I'll—I'll I'll give you know Pete that, but it, yeah, it's—it's a trifecta. It's a trifecta.
0: I think so. the time comes uh, to an end with every head coach and with every combo for quarterback and head coach, and, and sometimes it's just time to move yeah. on. I think that was the case with McCarthy. It's—it's it's probably the case with the Seahawks. Uh, I gotta let you go, Mike Uh, because we got to take a break, but I'm fascinated now to know that you're from LaPorte. This is a a tiny world. I appreciate you as always.
1: Absolutely. Have a good one.
0: Thank you, Mike. Mike in downtown Madison, but hails from LaPorte, Indiana, a place I have been uh, half a dozen times or so. Funny. I had to ask. I was like, well, I know one town in Indiana, which one? And, of course, it's LaPorte. Let's take a break. We'll get into the Packers and Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, and we'll hear a little bit from Aaron Rodgers. All that coming up next.
2: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
0: Wisco Sports Show. We're talking college football today, and you know what? I'm enjoying myself, and I don't care who knows it. Not a big college football guy, huge college basketball guy now. I've made that decision for this year. Get really into college hoops. We're talking about some of these coaching changes. I think they're both great. I talked about some of the economical, financial ramifications of Lincoln Riley to USC. They're huge for the Pac-12, especially with their new TV deal coming up here in about two years. And they're going to want to renegotiate before it gets there. USC is turned around and becomes an amazing power. I mean, that's a two-year rebuild, right? With Lincoln Riley, you don't need four or five years like Scott Frost might need at Nebraska. That team's going to be good and ready to go probably before too long. And the Pac-12 and their commissioner, who's worked in entertainment, worked at MGM, worked at NBC when they started Hulu, George Kliavkoff, they're going to want to renegotiate this thing ASAP. They're going to make a lot of money. And Brian Kelly to LSU is just funny because everyone's upset. <laughs> it sucks for the kids on the team at Notre Dame. It really does. But this happens every year. We got to stop doing the thing where we're like, oh, Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley looked kids in the eye and told them that he was there for the long run. Okay, well, yeah, $10 million a year. I, I mean, come on, really? We see this all the time. College football is a brutal business. And because it's so brutal and there's so much money that's thrown around, it's why these kids were able to go to school at Notre Dame for free all the clothes and get all the perks and take the trips and go to the bowl. This is the other half of that sword. And it sucks, but it's the reality of college football. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line. DW in New Glarus says, Grant, if Rodgers wins MVP this year, how can Goody not resign him? Would be the biggest mistake since taking Mandrich over Barry Sanders. Yeah, or anyone in that draft, really. Knowing what we know now about running backs, I would have rather taken one of the draft picks that came in the next few, maybe Dion or something like that. Um, But, yeah, Mandarich over Barry Sanders. Bad. Bad. And I think that was flashed during the game on Sunday, wasn't it? Didn't that graphic come up? Caught some strays. And last night during Monday Night Football, at the end, the announcers were talking about Seattle and how the last time they recovered an onside kick was the 2014 NFC Championship. I'm like, oh, my God, no, I don't want to talk about this. I do want to get into Monday Night Football last night. The Seahawks lost to the Washington football team. They're they're down bad. They lost 17-15. to This offense is terrible. And I could use this game as an excuse, as a reason, as a diving board to slander Russell Wilson. I could. But that would just be sad. I don't think all of this is his fault. He's coming off an injury. Seattle, philosophically, is broken between their offensive coordinator Shane Waldron and P. Carroll. Organizationally from the top down, they just need to hit the reset. Russell Wilson looks broken and while I don't love Russell Wilson, I this all isn't on him. However, I do think it's amazing and entertaining that we are now living in a world where the Russell Wilson-led Seahawks never at any point last night really felt like they were going to win that game against the Washington football team. What a fun sports world we live in. Never could have seen this coming, except I kind of did. Been talking about this for like a year. I went back and I was trying to find a podcast where I talked about this. This is from February 27th when that piece in The Athletic came out that said Russell Wilson doesn't want to be traded, but if he did, he would go here, here, and here. Remember that story from February after the season? This was me the day that broke talking about something I had already talked about, and this continues to just be more true and more true and more true as the days pass along. I said this is going to happen. This is Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, 2.0, just like I said it was a couple of months ago, and it's now coming to a head, right? Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, Early success in their career. Go to a Super Bowl, win it. Come close and get back in 2011. They don't get back, but great team in 2011. They're a great team in 2014. And then things started to go south. The defense fell apart. The offense got stale the same way that the defense has gotten bad and the offense has gotten stale in Seattle, right? Then there's a little push here and there. Unhappiness with the head coach and the direction of the team. So Mike McCarthy was let go, right? And I think that's where we're headed with Seattle, I predicted a couple of weeks ago that this upcoming year is going to be Pete Carroll's last season in Seattle. Things are certainly lining up for that to be the case. Okay, so that was from February. And that was reiterating something I had already said, right? I said, look, this upcoming year, the one that we're in right now, this is the last year between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. And it absolutely is going to be. I didn't even need to watch them play this year. They're going to be the worst team in their division with Russell Wilson, Seattle that's been uh, a foundation a pillar of the nfc even if they've only won one super bowl and gone to one other one they've been in the playoffs they've been a team that you just don't want to see because the seahawks hate the seahawks right that team's going to be last in their division i didn't need to see the season play out before i knew this was going to be the last go around the last try the last gasp for pete carroll and russell wilson together the seahawks are going through what the packers went through with mccarthy and aaron Rodgers: early success Then the quarterback gets paid, the roster dwindles, the head coach and the offensive scheme doesn't evolve. The quarterback starts to look worse and worse and worse. And then an injury expedited that process with the Packers. It expedited the process with the Seahawks this year too. They just don't look good. And now they've come to a point where even though they like Pete Carroll and even though the Packers like Mike McCarthy, they're just going to have to move on. I think Pete Carroll will probably retire. Aaron texted in, or no, this is from Kurt. He says, "Is he going to get fired, or is he just going to retire?" Yeah, I, I think he'll probably just retire. I mean, I, I don't know. He looks young, but dude, just retire. <laughs> Played national championship games in college. You've coached in the NFL. You won a Super Bowl. Just, just retire. I think that's probably what he will do. Assuming he can make it to the end of the year. I don't think Seattle's going to ax him. The question now becomes: Does Russell Wilson stay in Seattle? Because in Green Bay, the Packers moved off of Mike McCarthy. They brought in a young, more energetic new ideas on offense, more creative, offensive-minded Matt Lafleur. I said last year that Seattle should do the same thing. Move on from Pete Carroll, clean house, bring in a young offensive mind to pair with Russell Wilson where they can rebuild the offense around his strengths because Russell Wilson's strengths now are different than when he was his third year in the league or his fourth year in the league. Very different quarterback. He needs a different team. He needs a different system. Same with Aaron Rodgers to some degree. Aaron Rodgers has, by and large, been the same quarterback ever since he took over and, and really got going in 2009, but the league changes, the roster changes, and you needed to reshape things a little bit in the Green Bay organization, and that's what Battle did. The Seahawks should do the same thing. The question is, does Russell Wilson want to be there, even with a new offensive-minded head coach, which is assuming that's who they'd hire and not like some Vic Fangio type or Mike Zimmer type, which would just be more of, of what Pete Carroll is already giving them. The Seahawks should do exactly what the Packers did and hope that it appeases Russell Wilson and wants to make him stay. Otherwise, they're going to have to end up trading him. And maybe trading him isn't the worst idea in the world because Seattle has no picks, right? The Packers, for as conservative as they are and as crazy as that makes us sometimes, they started their retool with Matt LaFleur with drafting Jair Alexander and Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. Seattle doesn't have a pick in the first round this year because they gave away all these picks trying to save face around Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and make it work. In fact, the top 10 of the draft, this is what it looks like. Are you ready? This is nuts to me. Lions, Texans, Jaguars in the top three. Who could have seen that coming? Then Jets, then Jets, then Giants, then Giants, then Eagles, then Eagles. Via One of those picks is from the Seahawks. The Seahawks pick is number four. That's one of the Jamal Adams picks that the Jets are going to get to make. So they don't have a way of adding some young exciting wide receiver or an offensive lineman or a stud corner or pass rusher. The Seahawks are in a tough spot. Maybe they should trade Russell Wilson. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know because they have no picks and they have no way to get better other than getting a better coach. And if you get the coach and the quarterback right, that's half the battle. But you also need a half decent roster. By the way, I was doing some research today talking about trading Russell Wilson, assuming he would go for two, maybe three first round picks. These are the trades that have been made with multiple first-rounders involved the last few years. Jamal Adams, Laramie Tunsil, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, Khalil Mack. The Jamal Adams trade has been a horrendous one for the Seahawks. Laramie Tunsil, not good. Jalen Ramsey's a good player, but I don't know, multiple first-round picks for a corner as good as he is. I don't know if that gets you over the top. Matthew Stafford was a terrible trade, and I've said that from the beginning. Khalil Mack has been great, but again... I think as the years go by, we're learning multiple first-round picks for any one particular player. Not good, unless it's a quarterback. I don't think Matthew Stafford's good enough to warrant it. Maybe Russell Wilson is. And maybe Seattle would be best served to trade him if he's going to be unhappy from day one, even with the new head coach. And I'm assuming they'll get a new head coach after Pete Carroll probably retires because it's just not working. And the writing's been on the wall for now for over a year. Ever since Russell Wilson... Came down from Earth after starting really good the last four or five weeks last year. This is this has been obvious. The writing's been on the wall. Let's take a break. We'll get an update from Mike Clemens, and we'll hear a little bit from Aaron Rodgers coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.
2: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. <laughs> Now, in Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens.
3: The Packers players beginning their bye week. Some players packing their bags for a short vacation. Others in the facility getting treatments for injuries. Aaron Rodgers was in for an MRI on his fractured toe. The NFL Network saying that he had opted not to have surgery. Matt LaFleur would only say this.
4: Yeah, I, I don't know where that's at. Um, I know he's he's gathering other opinions, so, um, you know, We'll see where that
3: goes. Another concern is Randall Cobb, who had four catches for 95 yards and suffered a groin injury after scoring a touchdown. Offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett.
5: Be able to make that tight window, take two hits and still get, still get hurt. I don't even know if he knew he was hurt because everybody started banging him around. You could see him kind of limping on one leg. Um, but again, it just shows how tough that guy is.
3: So the Packers are at 9-3 and after losing to Minnesota, then beating the Rams. Green Bay's record after losing a game is now 9-0 and under Matt LaFleur, Packers nose tackle Kenny Clark.
6: Honestly, we don't think about it. As much as a team, we really just treat, you know, every game just week to week. And just with all, our, all of our guys, we do lose a game. We know how to correct it. And um, our confidence as a team never wavers, you know. You know, we got, you know, great leaders. You know, we, we constantly spread that message around um, about it being a week-to-week league. And, uh, you know, that we just take pride in that.
0: Best Packers coverage. <laughs> Mike Clemens, he'll join us in... About 40 minutes? Jeez, I almost said an hour and a half. Grant, come on. Get it together. Hey, follow me on Twitter, at WiscoGrant. I just got a follower that put me at 1,300 followers. So now the climb to 1,400 begins. So if you're on Twitter and you listen to the show, what the heck? You may as well follow me on Twitter so then we can interact during games. And you can inflate my ego because my follower count means way too much to me. It doesn't matter, but I think about it. When I go to bed at night and it's very important. So please follow me at Wisco Grant if you don't already. We're going to hear a little bit from Aaron Rodgers. And then I actually want to talk more college football coming up in a few minutes because it's fun. And I think some of our five o'clock hour listeners, I'm thinking of a couple of the especially opinionated ones, would love to be a part of that conversation. So we're going to do that coming up in a few. I saved a few of my favorite comments from Aaron Rodgers with his Pat McAfee hit today. Sorry, not the book club stuff. I didn't. I didn't save that. Uh, He did talk a little bit about beating the Rams in the cold weather and how that weather impacts things. And and I don't want to, I don't want to, we'll skip that. Maybe we'll get to that later. Mostly what I'm focus on is Devontae Adams. He gave some interesting comments about the way in which Devontae Adams runs his routes, how he maneuvers and sets himself up on a play-in and play-out basis. And it really speaks to what we talked about yesterday, the Packers' identity. How they move Adams everywhere, and they use him for everything. Aaron Rodgers talked about Devontae Adams, and I think that speaks to and builds on what we said yesterday.
7: Devontae knows, I know, like this is what's happening. Yeah, I mean, Devontae, again, and that was a little bit of an ad-lib on his part. Uh, you know, I came back and said, how come you ran that route? And he said, I just felt good about the matchup. So, if you watch it back... <laughs> And that's the, that's the beauty in the game because, you know, you wouldn't always uh, necessarily know that unless I, you know, I, I told you that little anecdote and I love it too. And it actually kind of messed me up on the last offensive play of the game that we had because we had a similar play call. And this time he decided to uh, to run a, uh, you know, a, a slant. Um, and I said, why'd you do it on that one? He goes, okay. I just felt like, you know, I felt like that was the best option. So <laughs> I, I tell you, I trust him. I trust him, uh, you know, So much, and and him and I have such a great uh, unspoken uh, chemistry on the field. And and we even did a couple other little things in the game that are really cool uh, that we've been working on and practicing um, off of some of the things that we did.
0: So, this is interesting. Hold on. So, sometimes he's running one route and then he just changes it up and goes a different way, and it's just based on feel and the matchup and what he sees. That seems a little complicated because you practice these plays and you expect players to be in certain spots. So I appreciate the Pat Mack if he followed up. He's like, "Whoa, wait, wait a minute, tell us more." He has
7: a lot of freedom, which he should because he's such he's got such a great release pattern, and he's such a smart guy. Um, it's not like he's going outside, maybe of uh, schematic things, but he's making decisions that might not be the expected initial kind of paper football decision, like when you're looking at it on paper. Which is why I always say there's like kind of a paper offense and an on the field offense. Uh, there's, like, paper routes for Devontae, and then, like, when he's on the field, would you know, do whatever you want. And he did it last week against Minnesota on the uh, on the second touchdown. You know, he kind of ad-libbed that route, and that's why I was a little bit late getting to it when Everson drilled me. Um, but that's exactly what you want because he totally froze the guy and, and, and scored a touchdown. The same thing on the big play uh, on that third down the other night. Uh, so know, it's he,
2: impossible to watch film, then, right? Because then it's you don't really know what's coming. And how do you have to deal with it? You just have to be patient too and see what he's doing. Or do you normally have a pretty good sense beforehand? You're on the same page.
7: I, I would say normally I have a pretty good sense. You just got to read, you got to read body body movements, and then also the conversations that we have are very high level when it comes to those situations.
0: Okay, so. Roger's talking about how Adams sometimes ad-libs a little bit, but yet he always kind of knows they have the sixth sense where they understand what's going on. I love hearing about this stuff. This is very interesting. But in sports radio, we don't just want to play these clips, right? We want to build off of them. It's like chopped. You know, you get your basket ingredients, but the judges expect you to transform them into something else. So here I'm going to make a point based off of the two minutes we just heard from Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show, SiriusXM Radio. The way I see it, There are two sides, two elements at play here to creating a team, especially on offense, which is what we're talking about. Let's forget defense for a sec. There's talent acquisition, draft, free agency, trades. And then there's scheme. Offensive coordinator or head coach, Matt LaFleur, coming up with plays, coming up with designs, right? Those two things are at play. And they aren't independent. Scheme needs to complement the talent. And the talent that's acquired via the draft or free agency or through trades should fit the scheme, right? These two things are connected. And they should be connected because that's how you maximize the players that you have and that's how you maximize the scheme that you run, right? The way I see it, the Packers get way more out of their star wide receiver than a lot of teams in this league, the NFL. And it's not through sheer lack of targets. It's not because they throw the ball to him a million times a game. It's not that they spam him with the ball. It's not just sheer volume and force of will. Most of the time with Devontae Adams, it feels efficient and it feels sustainable. It feels like it fits. I don't often watch the Packers throw the ball to Adams and think, oh man, they're, they're, they're working him too hard. He's going to get hurt. They're, they're throwing to him too much. No, typically when he gets the ball, it fits within the flow of the offense. It seems to be replicable. I always say this about offense. I want it to be replicable. When the Packers have a good play, I want to I walk away from that play thinking, okay, you can do that again. You can build off of that. You can come back to that. I don't like the Packers' best offensive plays to feel like a prayer because that means that once that prayer is completed, you can't turn around and do it again. I like plays that are executable and efficient and replicable, and most of the time when they run offense through Adams, it feels that way because the Packers have installed this offense and created the system where he flourishes. Do you know how often I watch the Seahawks? And I'm left thinking, last night, great example. I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, is DK Metcalf really that good? I know he's big and he's strong and he's super fast and we always talk about him. But is he is he really that good? He just disappears from the game sometimes. And DK Metcalf is no Devontae Adams. But I don't think Seattle designs things for him. I don't see plays in Seattle's offense, which is probably why they're not scoring, by the way. I don't see plays where I'm like, wow, they really they really helped DK Metcalf. They really put him in a good spot there for him to succeed. Think of Tyreek Hill and all the things that Kansas City does to help him be in a good spot. Or Debo Samuel. God, they use him perfectly in San Fran, which is why he can get all these targets and still produce. Or even Justin Jefferson. Sometimes the Vikings forget about him, but man, they also, running him out of the backfield, running angle routes, like the best teams and the best play callers Know how to design things for their best player. And the Packers, they might only have one true star wide receiver, but they put him in great spots. It's fun to watch. Let's take a break, get back into college football first. An update from our buddy, Zach Heilbrin.
2: And he told us his
3: play will not be limited.
1: So Aaron is telling us that he's had that toe immunized against the pain. Rodgers takes the toss Takes it in Touchdown Green Bay
4: He's not missing practices For any reason he, He's definitely battling through this I think he's one of the toughest competitors That I've ever been around I just can't tell you enough Obviously what he means to this football team This organization And, and what he provides for us
0: bad toe and all doesn't matter aaron Rodgers outrunning jalen rams a little pump fake that always helps too they always fall for it always defenders always buy the pump fake sometimes you when the quarterback is past the line of scrimmage this is the wisco sports show we're joined now by our good friend the hardest working man uh much harder working than me that's mike Clemens to talk about the packers win over the rams and to kind of get us started into the bye week mike hello how was your thanksgiving it was good,
3: and that was a fun game to cover because stepping out of the car Sunday morning, it the, there was a biting cold. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been in Wisconsin. My car, you know, says 36 degrees, but the wind and maybe the moisture that was in the air, it felt more like a January day than a late November day, and you think, well, maybe this is going to help out the Packers against the Rams. You're looking for all these angles. You look at the flags, and you see them whipping around and saying, well, this isn't going to be easy for Mason Crosby, you know, yeah. and some of the troubles he's having. So it's just all that atmosphere. But you know, the crowd came. I didn't see many folks wearing Rams material, but it was it was a packed house, and it was and I was. I liked the game, even if if Randall Cobb, you know, muffs the punt, you put back the veteran, and there's and there's and, and you know Odell ends up getting a, a, a deep pass for a touchdown later in the game. I like the way the game went back and forth, and I like the way the Packers were playing at playoff level in this game.
0: Yeah, well, the game had a little bit of everything, and I watched Badgers-Gophers on Saturday. That game had nothing. There was was Nothing. nothing interesting. There were no wild things that happened. It was just like watching an animal slowly die for three straight hours. And then the Packers game had everything, and it had turnovers, defensive scores, special teams madness. So... It was a fun game to watch as well and it helps when the Packers jump out to an early lead and it never really felt like they were going to lose. So a very fun game to watch.
3: One of the biggest surprises and aren't you surprised that since they acquired Matthew Stafford, they've gotten away from the Sean McVay, oh. Kyle Shanahan misdirection plays, the nice. jet sweeps and why do they do that? They you know, they just get, they think they got a, an arm now so they just got Stafford back there, you know, with a seven-step drop and they think that they can Pass, 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 but that misdirection to me. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is, Grant, that, that that's what that offensive line is built for. Yes. Their offensive line was built for the outside zone scheme runs, mm-hmm. not for those long pass protection things. And that's why you, sometimes you see Kenny Clark and some of those guys getting protection or, or penetration. But anyway, after the game, thought it was a hell of a performance from Aaron Rodgers. You know, he's out there now with a fractured toe after the stuff that was revealed during the week leading up to the game quite literally so,
0: revealed. Yes. On camera.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you know, in the Vikings game, he was a little sluggish in the first half. Then he's standing in the tunnel, uh, you know, cause he's anxious to get, you know, some treatment that we learned later according to Matt LaFleur after the game when we were up in Minnesota. Uh, then he looks great in the second half. He goes, you know, he goes four drives and four scores and uh, almost pulls off that one against the Vikings. So we asked Rodgers after the game, how different was it dealing with the toe pain in the Vikings game versus the Rams game Sunday night?
7: difference is I didn't have to get shot up again (laughs) at halftime. So um, definitely the healing this week, not practicing. Last week I tried to do some stuff on Friday. I felt like we needed maybe a little jolt. And that kind of, I think, impacted uh, Sunday a little bit from a pain standpoint kind of get to a better spot so i've definitely felt better but third quarter late third early fourth you know and i I got stepped on early in the game there was definitely some pain i was dealing with
3: i don't know is what you guys saw on tape exactly what they showed you it was it your offensive line was it big plays by randall and then he doesn't come back in the second half or is it a quarterback who didn't practice at all last week I mean, what are your pregame warmups like right now? Is that in your head a little bit? A little more adrenaline rush? Like, how's this going to go? Because it
7: looked to me like your flow was the best of the season. Yeah, look, when I step on the field, I expect greatness. I think anyone who's a great competitor feels the same way. So, you know, I don't uh, lean on excuses, and not practicing, a little toe injury. You know, I expect greatness when I take the field. You know, it, it definitely isn't the ideal situation not to practice. But I can go out there and take mental reps and go through the plan and my preparation and feel good about what I'm doing. And when I get out there, I just got to rely on my instincts.
0: Expects greatness every time he takes the field, Mike. It's interesting. Why didn't he get shot up so has the toe gotten better to where he only needs one shot going into game? What did I, what did I miss there? That didn't make sense to me.
3: Well, yesterday there was this report um, after he had an MRI. From the NFL network, and they said, okay, Rogers has had the MRI. Mm-hmm. The decision is, eh, we'll see if we can go with healing and not surgery on this fractured pinky toe. Yeah. Today, Rogers goes on the McAfee show uh, a day or two after another game with this situation and was asked today, how's the pain in the fractured toe after beating the Rams Sunday night?
7: As compared this Monday to the last Monday, I definitely felt better and same with this Tuesday, to last Tuesday. So, you know, I'll just keep getting treatment. You know, we've, uh, we're have we hoping to avoid surgery, obviously, but the surgery would be such a minor one. It wouldn't be something that, that I'd have to miss time with. That's a prereq for any surgery that I have at this point. I'm not going to miss any time. So uh, we'll kind of reassess uh, early next week and make a decision, but it's not something where I could have surgery you know, on a Monday or Tuesday, and play on Sunday.
2: There is still a chance you're going to get surgery on the toe.
7: Yeah, look again with these reports. I don't know where they're coming from. Uh, I don't know who's talking. It seems like uh, there's certain coaches that may have friends in the media that they don't realize are actually just trying to report things. But, guys on your own on the Green Bay staff, you're saying? Oh well, yeah, age. You, you've known about that. There were guys for a while who were Who had their their people. They would leak stuff to.
0: God, what a nutty lifestyle to live, Mike, to just... About the toe. It's just a toe. It's a toe. Why does this take up so much of my mind right now and my show every day just talking because, about his pinky toe? <laughs> because the the
3: pain yeah. will mess with your head when you're trying to plant your feet, when you're trying to avoid 310 defensive linemen, 310-pound defensive linemen. Yeah. It has an effect on the player. And, um, you know, though, one of his best performances in a losing effort was against the Seattle Seahawks in that game up in Seattle back in what was 2014 in the NFC Championship. Mm-hmm. Everybody forgets he was playing with one leg that day. He had that calf injury yeah. that had been going on for a couple of weeks. And sometimes he actually plays better because he sticks to the pocket. But you know the point is this: Rodgers has got this fractured pinky toe. Maybe it'll show. It'll show some progress in healing. What you don't want is to have it stepped on and then crushed and smashed. Yeah. And then you really got yourself a problem uh, if you want to save the thing at that point. Uh, so, you know, those are the considerations of how can they protect it and let this thing heal and have him still be able to set foot on the field against the Bears on December 12th? Now, um, apparently, Rodgers, after the game, said, Oh, yeah, I was just sort of reacting and to what the Rams defense was doing, and the safety went back over here, so that's why I ran in with the football. Nathaniel Hackett said that, uh, no, uh, he Rodgers told us when he was watching practice, you know, I could boot out of that play when we're in the red zone, and I could run it in. And they're like, don't be running in the play. You've got this toll. <laughs> yeah. So, Hackett was asked last night, what was your reaction in the press box when you saw Aaron Rodgers running to the right into the end zone for that touchdown?
5: I was I, screaming with joy of the touchdown at at, at that time i was i was very excited and it was it was it was funny because he he had been talking about it and wanted had been wanting to do it so i was more i was there was some language that came out but i just i I just thought it was hilarious because i mean he kind of prepped us for us without actually telling us
0: (laughs) so he's always full of energy i think that's one of those moments where you're like no 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 okay, yes, okay, fine, sure. Like one of those crazy, terrible shots in basketball that just happens to go in, and then you're like, oh, okay, I guess the result was fine. Or just like back in the day
3: with Holmgren and
0: Brett Favre. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 yes, 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 <laughs> yeah, yes exactly. yeah, exactly, exactly. That's. Funny. And
3: then the other big play was, you know, Randall Cobb, man, breaking through with a 54-yarder to set up a score, the seven-yard touchdown. And now listen to, and I don't think Matt LaFleur wants us to get out, but his offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, telling us, That little touchdown pass was designed for Randall Cobb, a seven-yarder that got that in just before halftime against the Rams. It also, though, led to this groin injury that they announced that Cobb did not return from the locker room during halftime. Hackett talked about that touchdown play.
5: That play, first and foremost, is one of Matt's favorite plays of all time. So um, he was very emotional with that one, and it was specifically designed for Cobb to do it because we knew he would do the best job at it. And, uh, I, I mean, just his toughness and his grit, and just the way that he's been playing all year has been just awesome to, to be a part of and watch. For a guy, you know, he, he came in this year and not knowing him very well, but what Aaron had, or how Aaron had always talked about him previously, that uh, it's been so much fun having him out there. And I mean, just the, I mean, he takes a check down for thirty some yards uh, when we caught the little wide, and then he has the explosive seam route, which was just beautiful. Uh, by both of those guys, and then to be able to make that tight window throw, take two hits, and still get hey was still get hurt. I don't even know if he knew he was hurt because everybody started banging him around. You could see him kind of limping on one leg, um, but again, it just shows how tough that guy is. I mean, he's a stud, and and we're so lucky to have
0: him. So that play, I, mean, I think is the right one. The touchdown where he lined up in the backfield and ran the angle route. That was basically what Justin Jefferson did against the Packers a week ago, right? That's Matt Lafleur's favorite play. Exactly,
3: <laughs> exactly. But apparently, that's a play. The has had quite a while, you know. Maybe he used like a Josiah DeGuara last year, like that. He just he like it's kind of an H back thing, mm-hmm. and that's why he thought Cobb is the perfect candidate for that kind of a play. Now, um, they announced in the press box first in the first quarter of the Rams game, Cobb was on the sidelines having something looked at, and the word was it was an ankle. When he didn't come out in the third quarter, the official announcement was Randall Cobb groin out for the rest of the game. So I did not like the way Lafleur answered this question yesterday because he says, "While we're looking at other options, uh, when they asked Lafleur was asked last night about Randall Cobb leaving in the second half against the Rams with the groin injury, this didn't sound good to me."
4: Yeah, I don't have any updates in terms of the severity. Uh, we're still kind of gathering opinions, but uh, yeah, he, he just he got hurt on that touchdown catch, and um, you know it was. It's a big time credit to him to be able to hang on, and uh, you know afterwards, I was kind of giving the guys some some grief for he's in he's in the end zone and they're they're pushing him around and he's kind of hobbling and you can you can subtly see it on on the tape.
0: Groin injuries, Mike—they don't just go away, do they? These are injuries that typically, like I think Kevin King struggled with one. There was another Packer not too long ago who struggled with the groin as well, and I. Well, they, started, they said Alan
3: Lazard had a groin when he went down in, against the Saints, and suddenly it ends up being like a coarse muscle yeah. surgery. Yep, thing. yep. And he's, you know, he's out for six weeks. Yeah. So And there's, when they're seeking second opinions, like, oh. Uh,
0: not good. That
3: means that they're not sure what they're going to do for treatment. Okay, so Darnell Savage, he got thwacked with, with a forearm uh, toward the end of the game. He tweeted out, I'm fine. But we just got word 15 minutes ago that Packers inside linebacker Devondre Campbell this great pickup that's done so well, just was placed on the COVID-19 list. Now, you know, if you think about when Rogers was tested positive on a Wednesday and was still able to come back on Saturday before the Seahawks game and play, I would think that that would be the same situation for Campbell. He could come back maybe on Friday before the December 12th Bears game. Mm-hmm. However, if he's sick with it, did you see Joel Embiid from the 76ers quote the other day when he got back from covid he said hey it was bad and i was really concerned i mean really? you know yeah big basketball player like that mm-hmm. having trouble with it so that's all we know is that right now campbell your inside linebacker your guy with the radio helmet is uh, is on the covid list rasul douglas has had a tremendous season picked up off the practice squad a guy that was drafted um uh, by the eagles uh, about five six years ago released on a bunch of other teams. And it's just amazing that the Packers were able to pick him up. And I asked him after the game about his prep for Odell Beckham, Cooper cup, and his pick six that he got in the third quarter uh, against
6: Matthew Stafford. Um, just read the quarterback, uh, Sam though. And I just want to make a play. Uh, well, this week guys came in and just was frustrated, uh, how we lost and how we didn't look well. Um, this week we just made a big, uh, thing on it that we were going to do the right things. We we're going to do our jobs. Um, and just make the plays that come to us and not try to uh, make plays that's not for us. Uh, We knew the Rams had a good offense. I just added a new guy, Odell. So we knew they were going to come in pumped. They just had a bye week, come up a bye week. So uh, coaches did a good job giving us a game plan, and we just followed through.
3: Rasul, did you anticipate that Matthew was going to go more to Cooper, you know, in the van than maybe necessarily Odell because Odell's still been there? And have you prepared for Odell in the past in your career to kind of know What was going to happen this week?
6: Um, I mean, Cooper Cup, don't he got like 10,000 receiving yards already? In like eight weeks? So, I mean, we know that's that's his guy. Uh, We know a lot of balls get thrown to him. He makes a lot of plays. He's he's a good receiver. I guess we we thought that Bobby would help Odell kind of get the playbook and know it. Um, This is his third week there. So we kind of knew he would be uh, featured. That's why, I guess that's why they, they brought him there, you know, to throw him the ball, so... It yeah. looked it looked like to me on
0: Sunday that maybe they were a little petty towards Odell Beckham, and maybe that's what I wanted to see, but more often than not, they had more than one guy there. Like Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, they had opportunity to get the ball, but it seemed like the Packers' defense was intent on maybe not letting Odell Beckham do anything too crazy.
3: Yeah, right. And But they, they usually just had 29, you know, Douglas with him on single coverage, uh, and they didn't go to him until about the second quarter. They eventually got about eight targets and was only like three catches and, of course, the one that scorched him when he got. I think they had—I think Henry Black screwed up on that touchdown to Beckham mm-hmm. by not you know, dropping back and doing safety. Here's the key, though. Here's the guy who's been on four or five different teams, a journeyman, and now he's playing at this level with Kevin King injured again with Jair still out. You know How do they find these guys? And then the other thing is it's the effort. If you're in a good organization and you're given the opportunity, listen to what Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, said about working with Rasul Douglas the last couple of months.
4: You know, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys, just just witnessing him the way he approaches the game as a pro. Um, this guy is is you know, there's there's been countless times where on Wednesday or Thursday nights, you know, I go down in the cafeteria to get something to eat at, you know, eight o'clock at night and Sewell's sitting in there at, at the table, you know, with his iPad studying film. And um You know, he's just a, he's a, he's a gym rat. He works at his craft. He's been thrust into some goofy situations in the sense where we've had guys go down in game or kind of like what happened with Stokes, you know, before the Kansas city game, where we literally, the Kansas city game, you know, we knew he was going to play that game, but we didn't know that he was going to play exclusively that game. And we, you know, we told him 15 minutes before the game and he went out and, you know, played his butt off.
0: This guy's been great and he's playing like he's fighting. Like, this is one of his last chances to, to be on a great team, and he's got to stick because he's bounced around, and, and that's why the NFL is awesome. We're talking with Mike Clements, our embedded Green Bay Packers reporter. Mike, we got three more cuts. We probably only have time for two of them between McVay, Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers.
3: Yeah, and it's a oh, will skip over the McVay where he just got kind of testy about these questions defending <laughs> Matthew Stafford. Yeah, But you can hear the frustration of Matthew Stafford. All those years he came over here for 12 years with the Lions – losing in Lambeau, and now at 33 with this potent Rams roster and coming up with
0: another loss to Rodgers at Lambeau Field. Yeah, no, I think so. I, you, do you want to hear McVay? I played a little bit of him yesterday. Do you want to hear the, the frustration? No, I was going to play Stafford. Okay, let's do Here's, Stafford here. Stafford. Here we go. Yeah, You
5: can't come into Lambeau Field and have three turnovers in minus territory and, and expect to uh, you know play the game you want to play. You know, we were able to fight back, and I, I got a ton of uh, confidence and respect in the guys in our locker room and the way that we battled and kept playing. You know, it's, it's a whole lot easier when you're playing the game on your terms a little bit and uh, being able to dictate the, the game the way we want to. You know, got to stay on the field a little bit more. Our defense was out there too much. You know, too many times we were three plays and out or something like that and putting our defense back in a tough spot. So uh, try to be as fundamentally sound as I possibly can
0: at all times, and then that usually, uh, you know, gets us going in the right direction. So Matthew Stafford, no, you can't turn the ball over at Lambeau. He's played there a lot. Also, and this isn't that important, but it's funny. I, you could have played that for me, and I never would have known that that's what Matt Stafford sounded like. But I've never mm-hmm. been at press conferences with him before. I never would have guessed that that's what his voice sounded like. Wow.
3: Well, but that's pretty much, you know, the even keel yep. that he did all those years of losing with the Lions which is why he didn't make national headlines. He just swallowed it all those years, yeah. you know, and, 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 and played along, well played. So, And today Aaron Rodgers just pointed out that, hey, wait a minute, though. And it's not like Stafford doesn't play well in the cold. By the way, he holds the record for like 500 yards. Remember that Week 17 game where they they rested Rodgers? Meaningless game between the Lions and the Packers, and mm-hmm. Matt Flynn threw for like 490 yards. They each threw like six touchdown passes. That was in a cold weather day at the end of the year, uh, back in like it was twenty eleven. So it's like, hey, Matt Stafford can play in the cold. So bottom line, we got this news today about Devondre Campbell now yeah. on the COVID list. You know, your defensive captain, if you will. There's really no new news about whether Jair is coming back anytime soon. Z- <laughs> Z- Z- Darius Smith shot a little video. He's doing a thing for his alma mater high school back in Alabama, a fundraiser on, on, on Giving Tuesday. And uh, Rodgers, you know, right now it sounds like they're going to see if this thing can just heal so he doesn't have to have surgery and some sort of a cast or anything like that so he doesn't feel like he's got a you know, a bullet in his shoe. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't want to have that thing so crushed if someone steps on it in the Bears
0: game December 12th. We appreciate you keeping up with all this, Mike, and I appreciate you making time this weekend over the holiday to get us the sound and to report on all these stories. Are we going to talk again Thursday?
3: Yeah, let's do, because I got a bunch of feature stories to talk about what awesome. some of these guys are doing on their bye week,
0: okay? Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks. Have a good week, Mike. Thanks, Grant. Yep, Mike Clemens, at Mike Clemens NFL on Twitter. We'll talk to him again on Thursday. Let's take one final break, wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this.
2: This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.